What do you desire? What do you desire? That's a rhetorical question. Nobody needs to answer that out loud. But the reason why I bring it up is just to get our minds thinking. What are our desires? And if I may propose, I think there's one general desire that more or less governs everything that we do. All of our words, all of our deeds, all of our Facebook posts. One general desire. And that is the desire for glory, for praise, for honor, for exaltation, for recognition. And honestly, I'm here to tell you that's not necessarily a bad desire. It can be a pretty good one, depending on what kind of glory you're seeking. Because really, there's two kinds of glory. There's worldly glory, and then there's the divine glory. My friends, worldly glory is what we seek whenever we seek honor from men. Divine glory, on their hand, is what we seek whenever we seek honor from God. Worldly glory is is fleeting. Divine glory lasts forever. One stems from worldly actions. The other stems from divine actions. One drains the heart. The other fulfills it. The problem with worldly glory is not that it asks for too much, but that it asks for too little. Worldly glory asks for the recognition, the love, and the honor from weak, broken men who will die. But divine glory, and that's another thing altogether, my friends. Divine glory asks for glory and honor and recognition from the Lord God Almighty, the one who loves us for all of eternity. And if we want to experience that divine glory, St. Paul gives us the blueprint for doing so in our second reading. What he does is he says for the, to the Philippians to be like Christ. And in being like Christ, what he basically says to you and to me is that the road to divine glory is passes through the valley of humility. The road to divine glory passes through the valley of humility. And if we want to embrace that road, if we want to go through that valley, well, the answer is simple. All we need to do is be like Christ. And in this exposition of what Christ did, he points out two major things. Be detached and be obedient. My friends, the first thing, be detached. St. Paul says that Christ, even though he counted equality with God, didn't deem equality with, didn't deem equality with God. Somebody grasped that. Though he was in the form, excuse me, I'll get this eventually. Though he was in the form of God, he did not deem equality with God. Something to be grasped at. But rather, what did he do? He emptied himself. He let it go. And in letting it go, in descending from the heights of heaven to become incarnate, a little baby here on earth, what Christ did was he let go of his self-sufficiency, let go of his comfort, and he let go, dare I say to some extent, his identity. Because even though he was always God, and no point he was not, in taking on the form of man, he could be mistaken for a mere man, which is what so many people did, so many people continue to do. And in doing so, 
in descending from the heights of heaven, what the Lord does is he reveals to you and I exactly the first step to take if we are going to go on a great adventure. The first step to any great, exciting, mighty adventure is to let go of that that's holding us back. Let go of our comfort. Let go of our self-sufficiency. Let go of, dare I say, even our identity. Those things that make us unique. Those things that make us special. Those quirks, those sins, those whatever that may be holding us back. And this isn't just a pious platitude. This isn't just a pious thought. This is the storyline to every great movie. Think about it. If Frodo Baggins would have never left the Shire, he would have never dropped the ring into Mordor. If Batman would have never left that mansion of his in Gotham and gone and climbed that giant mountain to meet that Raz al Ghul guy or whatever, he would have never, ever became Batman. And it's the same thing with Luke Skywalker. If he would have never let go of the idea that he was just some boy on some random planet fixing random robots that talked to him in a bunch of different languages, he would have never become a great Jedi. It's essential to leave those things that hold us back, to be detached from those things that make us all special and cute and humble. That's the key to every great adventure. And that's the key to the Christian life is not to hold on to those things that tie us down, not to hold on to those sins that we think we can't live without, not to be self-sufficient. That's the key to getting through the valley of humility, to understanding our weaknesses and understanding that the way we are, the way we stand, the people that we are right now, doesn't quite cut it. Yes, God does love us where we are. I'm not saying that he doesn't. But God loves us as we are and asks us to grow with him. God moves fast and he wants you and I to get to heaven fast. And that could be by, and dare I say, many of you have had great, powerful experiences in prayer. That could actually be too moving past those experiences. That could be moving past those consolations, those things where we feel like we've felt God, those things that we felt like we felt his love to continue to move on. I feel like so many times whenever people come to me and say, I'm dry in prayer, it's usually because they're holding on to something that happened a long time ago. God wants us to move past where those experiences that we've experienced yesterday, a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, and continue along the journey. Don't stop. That's the key to attachment, to detachment, excuse me. Detachment, if you're going to, is, the key to any adventure is detaching, and here's why. If you're going to go from point A to point B, you've got to detach from point A. You can't bring point A along with you to point B. You've got to let it go and then get to point B. There's no bringing it with you. And that's the key to the Christian life. We can't bring this world with us. We can't bring our sins. We can't bring our darkness. We can't bring those special little things that we just always tend to hold on to with us. We've got to let it go. We've got to become like Christ. We've got to empty ourselves. But what do we do once we're done emptying ourselves? What do we do once we let it go? Once we surrender our pride? And that's the next thing in this canticle. My friends, whenever God became a man, he did not simply become a man and rule over us. He didn't become a king, crown himself, and become a tyrant. No, he took the form of a slave, coming in human likeness, found in human appearance, humbling himself. 
and becoming obedient. Wow. Obedient. I think we sometimes forget how truly revolutionary this really is. In no other monotheistic religion ever was God obedient. Sure, in every monotheistic religion, Islam, Judaism, whatever, God rules over. He demands that we respect him. And rightly so. He's the Lord. But at no point in any of those faiths did God actually become obedient and model what it means to fulfill those commands. What it means to submit. At no point in any of those faiths except for the Christian faith. Which is why it's so beautiful to be a Catholic. Which means that as Catholics... We take advantage of one of the greatest privileges that God did. We take advantage of the fact that he humbled himself, that he became a man, and that he became obedient. My friends, obedience is probably one of the hardest virtues that you and I ever could embrace. Because there's always something holding us back whenever it comes to obedience. Whether whether we're, we're called to be obedient all the time, whether it's to, to some extent, to the government, to our parents... Most of all, to the church. My point being, though, is that even though we're called to be obedient to whomever it is in the sphere of our lives, in whatever state we are in, even though we're called to that, there's always that bad tendency, that evil thought that we actually know better than our superiors. That we know better than the government, that we know better than our parents, that we even know better than the church. And to be honest, maybe we do. Maybe we do actually have the right answer. Maybe we do actually know exactly what needs to get done to fix the government, to fix our parents, to fix the church, to fix whatever. But the fact of the matter is, you and I are not really judged on whether we have the right answer to that. You and I will be judged only on whether we're obedient. Our superiors, on the other hand, will be judged on whether they did the right thing. Which is why it's so dangerous... And also too exciting to be a superior, to be a parent, to be a a political leader, or even to be a priest. Pray for your priests. It's very important. My point being is that we're called to be obedient. And I got to admit, that was was my one hang up. That's always been my one hang up. All right, I know better. Why do I have to be obedient if I know better? Because you're not going to be judged that way. You're going to be judged on whether or not you follow orders. Well, there's another thing that kind of, I think, holds us back whenever it comes to obedience, and that is happiness. Usually, whenever I think of obedience, I think of, look, the guy that's over me, bishop, government, whatever, you name it, he doesn't really have my best interest in mind. He doesn't really care about me too much. How am I going to be happy if I'm obedient to them? And I actually learned the answer to that several years ago whenever I was a sophomore in high school in Greece. In Greece, Athens, in Athens, Greece, they've got tons and tons of wild dogs, stray dogs, that just kind of hang out the city. And one of the things I noticed about these stray dogs is that they were some of the most lifeless animals I've ever seen in my life. They would just sit down on the concrete and do nothing. I'd try and feed them hot dogs and whatever. They wouldn't move. They just lay down there. They, were, they looked and they seemed to feel like death. And yet, we on the other hand, my family, we have six dogs. And we keep them in a kennel. 
And we make them hunt for us. We make them work for their food. And we really only let them out of the kennel about an hour a day. They're not particularly free. But they're some of the happiest dogs you've ever seen. You let them out of that kennel. You put them down on that field to go hunt. And they are so full of life. They love it. They love hunting. They love playing. They love the creation that surrounds them. And dare I say, I think that could be us. Whenever we're independent, whenever we refuse to be obedient, whenever we're mavericks, we have to deal with the bone-crushing anxiety that nobody's going to take care of us. We have to deal with the bone-crushing anxiety that we fundamentally have no purpose. We have to deal with that anxiety that we are just a speck in the universe belonging to no one or no thing. That's what those stray dogs experience, dare I say. But if we are obedient, if we truly accept the fact that we are a part of a body, we're a part especially of the church, then suddenly our life goes from meaningless to just pointless speck on the universe to a life full of purpose and a life full of meaning. Sure, maybe our superiors are not always constantly thinking about us in our best interest, but at least our superiors are giving us a purpose. At least our superiors are giving us a meaning. At least our superiors are giving us a job. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ embraced whenever he became a man. He took on that job of redeeming mankind by doing the inglorious task of dying on a cross for us. If that is not love, if that is not obedience, I don't know what it is. So my point being for all this, at the end of the day, is that if we want that divine glory that every single one of us seeks, we want to get to heaven we got to travel through the valley of humility. We've got to embrace detachment. We've got to embrace obedience. And the other thing, too, ultimately, is that if we are glorified, if we do experience that divine glory, not only are we experiencing the divine glory ourselves, but we get to share it with the Lord. My friends, Jesus Christ whenever he was raised up as Lord, as as St. Paul says, was not just raised up as Lord. He was raised up as Lord to the glory of the Father. Guys, whenever we get worldly glory, what we do is we separate ourselves from the pack. We get first place. We become better than everybody else. We're above and beyond, whatever. But whenever you separate yourself from the pack in any way, shape, or form through any type of worldly glory... By being the best, ultimately you isolate yourself from everybody else. Worldly glory is essentially a lonely glory, a fleeting glory, a glory that's not really going to last in the end. But divine glory, guys, that lasts. And that's shared. We can rejoice with other people in this glory because we can rejoice with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And how do we do this? Like St. Paul said, be united in heart, thinking one thing. Do nothing out of selfishness or vainglory. Rather, humbly regard others as more important as yourselves, each looking out not for his own interests, but also looking out for those of others. My friends, there's only one way we can do this. That's to be humble, to be detached, and to be obedient.